can't explain it. I would say nobody has anything to fear from us. But we are going to control you now. It is the same spaceship you saw near the moon. That should convince you we do not come from your world. We are here to make you our slaves. We need to go. Listen to me. You help me find my son. I'll help everyone. Don't after that ship. You'll never make it. We both know this is a one-way trip. But we gotta go. And welcome back to Schlock and All, the double feature podcast that celebrates all movies from the sublime to the suspicious. As always, I'm Lindsay Wilkins. And this week, we are doing a Men in Suits double with the Hishiro Honda's Destroy All Monsters. Yeah, we're doing Godzilla again. Well, after a long time. And also Liam O'Donnell's Beyond Skyline. And here with me uh, is, of course, the amazing Max Darren, who has been on before, but this episode may drop earlier. And, of course, said director of Beyond Skyline, it's Liam O'Donnell. Hey, guys, how's it going? Great. Thank you for having me. Uh, looking forward to to talking uh, men in suits with you. Yes. No, um, this was kind of my idea when I sort of was thinking about it, was the whole men in suits, and that's one thing I love about Beyond Skyline and all just the Skyline series in general. So, so yeah. Um, so when I found out you, when you said you'd come on, I wasn't entirely sure how much of a Godzilla fan you were, because this was sort of my interpretation of watching the movie and not yours who created it. So it'll be interesting to sort of see why I suddenly thought of Godzilla and you're probably thinking, why is she thinking of Godzilla? But here we are. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I definitely, I mean, it's, it's very overtly, uh, a, a kaiju yes. you know, climax. So, uh, it, it, it made sense to me. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, as soon as I saw those big monsters at the beginning, I was just like, holy shit, this is a kaiju movie. I am settling in for a good time. And of course, we have Max Daring, who has been posting about the upcoming Godzilla movie a lot. Uh, So I'm (laughs) guessing. (laughs) So you are a Godzilla fan. Yes. Yeah, very, very much so. Uh, gonna find out this coming week if we're actually gonna get minus one. Pretty sure we are. Then the problem is if I'm gonna get uh, English subtitles, but you know, I'll see it either way. So, but uh, yeah, uh, it's good to be here. Liam, it's nice to finally meet you amongst all our shit posting on the Discord. <laughs> um, I will interject and we, we can probably, we'll probably end up getting deeper into it. Um, but I actually think, Liam, you said, I think off mic that you didn't, you weren't sure if you saw the overlap as much with the Shore Monsters and Beyond Skylines. I actually think the overlap is more so the 50s feel. Um, because I think Beyond Skylines has a very, at least with the aliens, when they start sucking out brains. Um, oh, right. Yeah. Very like 50s sort of schlocky. And Destroyer Monsters isn't that schlocky, but like it has that sort of 50s sensibility to it. Well, in this case, that was in the 60s, but they still feel of a piece where it's like very, um, very of a time. And so I, 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 and there's a feeling of that that is very similar. I apologize. <laughs> No, no, no worries. Yeah, it's just like um, I don't know. It's always it's always interesting going back and 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 thinking about those things and, and the overlaps and where even those decisions were 
coming from i guess you know the first skyline is uh is all cg creatures i think we had a uh like an an everlast uh weight bag for when uh eric belfort was smacking something around on the roof but there was never <laughs> like anything really there uh in camera which was i guess sort of the ethos of the movie was sort of a you know a vfx um I don't. I wasn't. I wasn't gonna say demo reel. I was gonna say uh, a VFX showcase. That's what I meant to say. Uh, and so, um, for me, it, it was. It was all part of kind of looking at the approach and 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 the and how I wanted to focus on the alien characters with the budget limitation, and also you know being a, a super fan of of Predator and and the alien films of just being like. And I also I also was working um, with ADI and Alec Gillis, who I'd met on AVPR, uh, Zach's or Zach's Max Max's favorite uh, movie that I've worked on, and so um, they actually did they did the designs of the creatures in the first Skyline, which is why I think they hold up so well um, because those guys kind of come at everything from a, a real biological approach, and it was sort of for me I was like wanted to move you know feature those characters in a lot more shots than i ever could afford if they were going to be the same designs uh and so you know we having that experience of working with alec developing one of his movies which unfortunately never got made you know really let me kind of in on the process of practical effects and and the monsters and so i i was it just kind of the way everything worked in my life up until that point i was really really geeked to try to try to do, you know, a practical alien suit. And, uh, and so, you know, that, that ended up, uh, being the case. And, and I look back and it, it is, you know, there's so much, um, even today where people get really hung up on continuity and changes. And, um, I'm kind of happy that I just, you know, there, there's enough continuity, but, uh, each movie, I, I kind of, make it to be what the best version of that movie is with the resources that I have. And it's like, it connects, but at the same time, you like, you know, the first skyline is very clearly, it even calls it out day one, day two, day three. And uh, if I wanted to do that in the first act of beyond skyline, it, it would have been like half the movie in LA and that, and that just wasn't what it wanted to be. So kind of in my mind, there's places where you could say that their journey took, three days but uh you know narratively just kind of crunched everything together and uh and and did what was best for that movie at that time no and i think it absolutely um absolutely works when yeah especially when you start in sort of la you have that first part and then you're just literally dropped into laos or because you filmed in Ind indonesia i think yes. you? yeah and hence i go in uh everyone um and then it just sort of turns into this completely different beast, which I kind of love. So you're finishing off Skyline and then kind of moving on to something completely different. And it really works. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things where we tried a bunch of different um, intros, both uh, in the script phase and in editorial. Like there was a version where the film opened up in Indonesia with uh, with Eco and, and Pam's characters. And uh, it started with him, you know, stabbing uh, the Barry, who's uh, uh, another uh, baseball Batman from the Raid Two. Mm -hmm. So we started with that as an opening, and then the ship crashed, and then it went to Eco opening his helmet. It was like Beyond Skyline, and then you go back into L.A. 
And part of me like wanted that to work because I felt like it would, uh, you know, set up the, that there was going to be a shift later on, even though you'd probably forget about it by that time. But it just didn't, it, it, it didn't want to be that way for whatever reason. Like I, I never could feel like in the edit that it really worked. And so, uh, you know, we ended up um, shooting like way after the fact, this, uh, the, the, the kind of bookends with uh, Lindsay Morgan. And that was like, that was like two years after principal photography. And it was a day oh, damn. at, uh, in hydraulics um, that we like, the cheapest possible sets. Those are like just steel decks that are turned on their side with a bunch of fucking like aluminum foil and uh, webbing and stuff. And, uh, and it ended up, it's just so funny to have come up with this other idea late in the game. And then that ends up, you know, being the sequel that, uh, that, it, that it morphs into. So yeah, it's all, it's all kind of like trial and error and, and uh, a little bit of luck, maybe a lot. So you were almost getting ready to um, film Skylines when you were t with Morgan and so you could attach those onto um, Beyond Skyline. That's, okay, cool. That, that's no, really no, cool. it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's a worse, it's, it's like, the, it, it was, it was a real um, post-production hell on this one. I mean, the whole movie is, I guess the farther that you get out from it, the more I could talk about it because like, <laughs> you know, I've had pretty good, like. PR stories, up until then, <laughs> but I don't have to keep repeating the good PR stories, but like, it was just, uh, it was a real shit show. I mean, uh, like, uh, you know, even in, in development, um, and I've kind of started talking about this a little on the discord of, of some of the schlockier aspects of beyond skyline are kind of, uh, through the band-aids of trying to put it together. Um, you know, particularly like the first drafts, um, Elaine's character from the first Skyline uh, was kind of a main character. Uh, and so her, her, she was like getting rapidly pregnant rather than already pregnant and had mm -hmm. birth. So when he meets her on the ship, all that was similar, but it was like, oh my God, something's wrong with this woman. I got to help her get off the ship. And, uh, and then when they landed in Laos, um, instead of that, what is now the, uh, the, the, the transfusion scene that was a birth scene and that was the birth of of rose and it was like oh my god you know she she went you know had a nine-month pregnancy in three days or whatever which was like already crazy and then it's like um you know we we basically got the frank had signed on when we first went to him and i'd written it for him and i was a big fan i kind of once the purge came out which was right when we were in casting i was like oh no i think i missed my window because, you know, that movie made a lot of money, Purge Anarchy. And um, I suddenly felt like, oh, we probably can't afford him, can't get him. Um, but, uh, you know, I did a Zoom with him and, and he he liked the script and felt like it was in his wheelhouse. And and so we were like, okay, we're good. We're going to Indonesia. We're going to scout this movie. And then during the scout, it's like, oh, no, Frank's pulled out. And, uh, and it was like, wow, what the fuck? And then talking about other options and uh, it was just too, I was too married to, to him being, uh, the character. And so kind of reapproached like what any issues would be. And it was really like, it wanted it to be less of a sequel to skyline and more of its own thing. And so I, I kind of understood that from where he was in his career. And it was kind of lined up with some notes I had gotten from this um this woman named judith weston who's kind of like this um directing guru in la 
And uh, I, I know a couple other uh, colleagues, um, you know, who have worked with her. And she has this great book called Directing Actors that I read after Skyline. <laughs> <laughs> You wanted to get some insight uh, for for when I got a chance, uh, and um, and she read it, and I, I you know had this private meeting with her, and um, you know the first thing she said to me was like, "How's your relationship with your father?" And I was like, "Huh?" <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Oh, I, I think it's okay," but then like I start you start feeling emotional, and you're like, "Well, maybe she's onto something." Um, so uh, you know, because in my mind, I kind of wrote it from Mark's POV as me kind of imagining my very young son at the time and like realizing even at, at a very young age that he's going to be his own kid and that he, you know, he's not some like a uh, little monument to my ego that's going to be exactly like I am. And so it was sort of uh, me imagining that into the future, but then through the process of the movie, I, I started like, feeling more like I'm was Trent in, in the world and I was not Mark. And so it was kind of a interesting uh, process. And so it, it was interesting that she pointed that out. Um, but she, she basically said, and when it was on that earlier draft, she was just like, you need to decide if this is a, if this is a sequel or if it's his own movie. And, uh, and that, cause she just like was so confused by so many things and, in the first act and, and everything. And I was like, okay, interesting. Um, and so I, that's why I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to go for it and try this, uh, other version. And by, you know, doing more of like a hard boiled on an alien ship with, uh, with, with Frank and a baby, it's like, he's going to carry all these scenes himself and there's less exposition um and it it did kind of free up the movie a little bit to to be something different instead of um kind of catching up with the last movie so yeah those are the things that like you know and then obviously you know he liked those changes he signed on we we made the movie um but the production was was really really difficult like you know we're we're in Georgia um which is uh, in Java. It's a beautiful city, but it was like right in the rainy season. And so we did all the locations up front. So like the first day of shooting is, is um, the Frank versus eco fight in the, um, uh, the rice paddies there, which is a fucking insane location. It's an, it's like, it was an hour drive from the hotels. And then you had to kind of take this hike along a river up to this really remote place, but it was the only place that looked like that, you know, and it, and it, it did just look, really unique and kind of like a, like a little lost world. Um, it was very untouched and beautiful. So, it, I mean, it was worth it, but then, you know, like, so here I am, I'm all like, ah, oh, fuck, I'm pumped up directing, you know, a couple of my favorite actors in the first day. And, and you really learn right away that like ensemble scenes are no, nothing to fuck with. <laughs> like they're so <laughs> hard and it, they, you know, the herding cats thing. So when, once you've, you know, been through it a little bit longer and you're like, Oh, I've got a scene with like two people in a booth at a restaurant. Like that's we're it's fucking easy. You know, this is cake. <laughs> mm -hmm. But when you've got like, um, what was it? I think it was, it was four people and a screaming baby, like walking through the jungle and you realize you got to get, you know, reactions and all this set up for all of them. And, and then, Oh, by the way, Yayan's going to pop up at the end with these three other guys. And it's just like, um, 
yeah, they, they, that was that was definitely like, oh man, I've jumped into the deep end. And then it starts raining. So it's like raining at like one. So we're we're filming all of the confrontation stuff at the beginning. And then, you know, 1 p.m. it rains. So nothing's going to match because it was all really sunny in the morning. So we're like, fuck it. Let's just skip forward to the fight. And uh, and and even then it was like that movie became sort of a martial arts movie like a month out. You know, like it wasn't uh, it wasn't planned. It was very much sort of you can imagine what the movie would be if uh, if uh, it wasn't Eco and Yayan and it was just kind of more you know, uh, soldiers and it's a lot of gunfire sort of, you know, war type stuff. Um, so those guys come on and they'd really, you know, they, they'd done, uh, their movies with Gareth. They'd done three movies with Gareth and they did, um, their stuff on, on the force awakens, mm -hmm. which, you know, it was like a couple of weeks for them. They, they did a lot more than what was in the movie. Um, I actually just talked to eco about this, but, um, you know, they did more. There was in the movie. They pitched them lightsaber ideas and stuff. They did a lot there, but it still wasn't, uh, I you know, the same sort of thing as this. But because they'd only worked with Gareth, who like lived in Indonesia and would go in the gym with them and 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 kind of do the stunt previs on those movies altogether. And me, I've never worked on any movie as a director, but definitely nothing with this type of, uh, you know, martial arts action. So they would kind of like just give me like these wide shots of the choreo. It was just like it was just sort of like, here's what the, the motion is, because they didn't want to like step on me as a director, like that they should tell me what the shots are. Right. And I kind of like was like, oh, OK, so I, I, I'll just figure out the shots. <laughs> now, luckily, I had a really good DP who uh, was a very experienced operator and and we would do all that. But. It's a little bit like a feeling out process, whereas now I'm, you know, working on a project with them and I'm like, guys, just go fucking nuts on the video board, do all the shots and I'll I'll make notes if I don't like them. Like, you know, I'm hiring you guys to be you. You know what I mean? So yeah. so that was like a real feeling out process. And, and I'm just like, OK, I guess we're shooting the fight and we're doing like long takes of like a ton of uh of fighting and it's all just like very like sloppy whereas i think you know now it's like okay i would stay in this angle and do this three to five moves perfectly from this angle and then move you know what i mean but yeah. we kind of like took the fights and and i think part of it uh fits the movie because i think if it suddenly was a super slick martial arts movie it would be jarring enough you know what i mean so I think the fact that it does kind of like have have some of that um, real life messiness to it helps ease in for then the third act, which I think is a little bit more of a polished um, uh, fighting style that we we figured out as we went. Um, so yeah, that so that was like a challenge um, right away, and then it, you know then I think like the third or fourth day the the set um it, it rained so much that the place where we were filming where they they came out of the river and they had that first meeting with eco oh, and yeah. Pam. so th that was a completely different part of the river that got flooded so we had to move it into this I mean that that thing that you're looking at where there it's like actually kind of a sewer <laughs> <laughs> and uh and and uh thankfully you know uh Antonio Fargus just said, it's okay. I'll lay down in the sewer. Um, but it was, uh, you know, you lose like three hours in the morning trying to scout a new location and figure all that stuff out on the fly. 
And then we get to the temples, which was, uh, you know, that was like another ace up my sleeve where I knew I had this like amazing location, this amazing scope. And like every single day at one, it would rain and not just rain for an hour that we could film again. It would rain till uh, five or six. So the first two days we, you know, we got, and again, it's, it's those group scenes where you're herding cats, you're getting them walking across these temples, which it's, it's like literally, I don't know, maybe 20 seconds in the movie, maybe less, but that took like half a day. Uh, cause you're just like, all right, everybody back to one. And then, you know, it's, it, and then they all need their last looks. Give me mm. that, you know, get my, get my muscles oiled up and looking good. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, there's never, a, there's never a hair out of place on Frank Grillo's head. Uh, so, so yeah, that stuff takes a while to shoot. And, um, and then we weren't supposed to actually do any action there. And I signed my life that we wouldn't. And then we're like, can we just rehearse some action? And then they're like, yeah. And it just, they just kept kind of saying like, yeah, you guys are cool. And so by the end, we're like literally doing a war scene there. Um, and, and, uh, but the, the smartest thing uh, my AD and, and the producers did is that we just said um, after, I think it was the second day where it rained, we said like, okay, we're just going to call it at lunch. So it's, it's mid, it's midday. Now we're going to stay end of day and everyone's going to come back at midnight from 12 hours from now and we're going to shoot you know this other scene and go all the way through and that's how we ended up like saving and getting just enough footage on the location and then we had to build uh you know a temple set on the back lot to get all the actual detailed fighting the suits weren't even done yet so all the stuff where you're on location with frank like when he wakes up on the battlefield and that alien's coming from him that was just a guy in a gray leotard on stilts because the suits were were going to be done after Christmas, um, so yeah, that, I mean that, and that was all the good stuff. Then, like, there's there's all there's other harder um, aspects of production. But we come back and we film at the studio here in Batam, Indonesia, mm -hmm. in January. Um, I think for thirty something days um, after that, and that's all the back half of the movie, which you know had I, I think just had the most time to film and frankly the most care um for for everybody involved like i think that's why i was so i've been so keen to come back to indonesia because i felt like the crews like cared so much about the movie and there was no uh ironic distance from it which you know you definitely in la and toronto everyone's just like this fucking thing <laughs> um so it was it was really it was really important for me at the time because i was just trying to find my footing you know i didn't i didn't quite know what it was going to be i think that's why um i think that's why it, it has some of that genuine sort of um it's not because it, it th there's an awareness that what we're doing is is crazy but it's not like any winking towards it because i legitimately was like i'm 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 making an awesome movie so it's like i think that's why there there's just a little bit more earnestness to it where it's not um it, it's got its heart on its sleeve in a lot of ways um so yeah then and then then we were done what with, sleeves uh, yeah what sleeves <laughs> yeah there was very little <laughs> sleeves in this movie <laughs> I, I always like to uh like i said it, it's 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 layers layers of layers of uh of sleevelessness it's not just the whole time <laughs> but um 
there's a couple of wardrobe things that I don't like in this movie. Um, but it, you know, like I, I don't like Frank's shirt for the third act. It's just a little too baggy for my mm -hmm. liking, but he liked that fit. And, uh, and then Eco's sleeveless in the third act is a little too baggy too. I wouldn't, I would, I would, I would go a size down on both of those. <laughs> just get the full meathead experience with the with the yeah, just a little too baggy just a little yeah. too baggy um but yeah so then then we finished indonesia and frank went to go shoot another movie in la so we then then it was like piecing together this movie around his schedule over the next i don't know four or five months so like we'd get him for a week or two and we'd do um green screen stuff monster stuff then we get him for another week or two. We did like the subway car in um, in San Pedro uh, in in L.A. Like we used the Seinfeld subway car and we we did that. and We got him out. And that was another one of those like interesting uh, experiences because I, I was so sort of against um, I was like a, I was like locations, man, real, real, real. And, and, and to an extent, I still think that, you know, if, if you're talking about um you know uh, the the temples of Parambanan and Sewu then yes that's awesome but you know I was like really against um doing a fake version of the subway and I really wanted to get onto a real subway and and then we we did like just for safety wise we had to do a fake one to get him off the car onto the tracks in um in San Pedro then they kind of walk towards the green screen and then you're in Toronto on real tracks and in post, I was kind of like, uh, like the the fake stuff kind of like was better because we just had more control and it was easier to shoot and and, uh, and easier to light. So then going down in Toronto and uh, and shooting down there was like that was actually the last thing that we filmed uh, in principal photography, and it was it was just the hardest because uh, you're you're on this. Um, it's kind of called like a service a service station. So it's beneath an active station in uh, the Bay Station in Toronto. And like almost everything shoots there. Like um, what's the Tony Scott one with uh, Denzel and, and John Travolta? Um, oh, Pelham. Speaking of Pelham. Pelham. Yeah. 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 So they they shot there. So in, and then uh, Suicide Squad 2016 had just, I think they were the ones that were like, had like all the weeks booked up and we had one week that we could do it um, there. And, and yeah, so it's another one of those lessons like, yeah, it was cool for production value to get a real station and, and see that stuff. But the shooting of it was so miserable and we couldn't bring our lights to the places that we wanted to. There were so many um, regulations like you couldn't we couldn't smoke it up. So we just had this thing they call like a cheddar grinder, which is just a little bit of like Fuller's Earth that goes mm. in the air right before you film and it dissipates right away. And mm. So I was just kind of like you know, it, it, interesting things to take away that whereas now I, I definitely uh, appreciate, you know, the 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 advantages of, of shooting on like backlots and uh, and stages and and how to use them um, correctly and still, you know, try to do locations when it when it really adds something to the movie. Um, but then, you know, like I said, this was a shit show. It went on and on forever. Um, so then, yeah, in, in post, you know the 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 producer of the movie you know the one who really was was uh fronting everything was hydraulics which was the company i was salaried at at the time and so 
you know, there were so many visual effects. There was this big set piece that was called the silo where the Trent character um, gets his brain ripped out. Spoiler um, (laughs) for for an eight year old movie. Uh, Actually, no, I guess so. It's technically only six years old uh, to you guys, but for me, it's eight. Um, So that was supposed to be done here in Batam, but we just couldn't make it uh, safe to do the hanging upside down thing. Um, because they didn't have the rock and roll trusses here at the time that you put on the ceiling of the studio to to rig people um, to be doing, you know, wire gags. And they actually had this really cool existing steel uh, infrastructure that we could have made like a real version of that set. Um, so that's why I was like, okay, we can do that like in camera. So when you have scenes of uh, Trent and, uh, and Audrey talking on it, it's like, that's fine because it's on a set. But then all of a sudden, you know, that gets pushed to L.A. and it's a green screen. Then every single shot that they're talking uh, is is expensive and, and very time consuming. So there was there was even a lot more there that I had to cut. Um, but that was just a little bit of that, uh, I think, naivete where I just should have been like, OK, this sequence is is too big for the movie. I should, you know, figure out another way out of this. Um, but I was I was too kind of. Uh, young and stubborn at that point and just like stayed the course. And so that all those shots, which ended up, I think we were supposed to have like 1200 shots in the movie, but because of that change, it went up to like 1750, 1800 shots. And we just didn't have really the budget to do it. So it was just took time. So it was like just an extra, you know, we finished a version of the movie at the end of 2016 and, um, and then, you know, we weren't 100% happy with the edit and it brought in another editor, uh, Sean Albertson, who then worked on it for about two months. And that's when came up with the uh, bookends for and then it was just like, who the hell did we find to be uh, this Rose character? I was a fan of of the 100 and Lindsay. And I just I just think I was just scrolling through IMDb Pro and just kind of was like, ah, I, I don't know, it's just she just seems to fit with with Frank. She just seems to fit with the movie. And um, strangely enough, she was really good friends with my DP, Christopher Probst, because he shot Detention. And uh, and so, you know, she came, She, I think we, we just had a meeting or, yeah, just had a meeting or, or talked on the phone and um, immediately kind of hit it off. And then she came over for a day. And um, I really liked, I really kind of felt like it, even in that day that, that she kind of got the tone that you know, again, it's like two years later, I felt like I knew what the tone was. So even just the little stuff where she's kind of talking to Trent as they're going down the hallway, I was like, oh, I, I could see this as a movie. So that's what kicked the the third one off was was that day. I would then kind of wrote a treatment uh, over the next month and then they, they brought it to, to Cannes and we pre-sold it. So, yeah, that was that was the that was the uh, the genesis of that. It's yeah, cool because I was sort of when I watched the original sort of skyline, I was because you always get told when you sort of learn about when you're starting to write a script, write to a budget that you think you can sell or that's kind of doable. You seem to not want to do that. You keep wanting to want to throw for the fences. <laughs> um, even but see, the that's, skyline. that's what I hear as well. Like you should always just write, go big as you can, and then yeah. worry about later. But yeah, okay, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I hear the opposite. No, think- like keep it. Then you're watching 
Liam's work and it's like, oh, that, that guy was just like throwing, just deciding, oh no, I'm going to do that. And then I'm just going to probably figure it out. And then I'm going to have two kaijus fighting over a massive temple. And I'm like, yeah, that is awesome. That, yeah, you did that. You managed to somehow do that. That Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, and I think that is good advice. And, uh, you know, that like Skyline wasn't written in a vacuum, right? It was um the these guys uh greg and colin strauss who owned hydraulics and directed skyline like they would they would be you know pushing where we could and couldn't and there were certain things where they'd be like no water you know no fur um the things that that are really expensive and there was like first drafts of beyond skyline where i had mark like jump on one of the the flying aliens and go all through the ship and they were just like no so there were <laughs> there were um there were definitely, you know, consequences. Even, even I think the first time uh, Jared um, made his appearance in one of the drafts, he like jumped up out of water, and they were like, "No water." So, uh, so there'd be like these these interesting uh, insights from people that are the real experts on it that I would be getting to avoid. But uh, other times, I'd be like, "Are you sure we shouldn't cut this?" And they're like, "No, no, no, it's fine." Um, so. Yeah, it would it would always be always be kind of an interesting thing, like where the line was with them. But to, for that lesson, it's like a lesson I keep having to learn because, you know, after Beyond Skyline, I wanted to make a big movie um, with with Eco, and I, I still saw it in kind of a similar budget range as Beyond Skyline. But everyone reading it was just like, "This is fucking an eighty million dollar movie. You guys can't make this for what you're saying." And I just kind of kept banging my head against the wall and saying like, no, 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 no. And then it, it took me until uh, like this year to be like, you know, maybe I should just write something else that's smaller budgeted and maybe we could build our way back up to that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's, it's good advice that I don't take often enough. Um, but within this movie that, um, I don't know, if I, it, it did get announced on, on film combat syndicate. So I, I can kind of talk a little bit about it, it was, uh, it's, uh, it's called Warpath and, it, and it's starring eco. And that's why I'm here in Indonesia prepping and, and working with mom, but I, I'm trying to learn from those lessons because, uh, unlike, uh, beyond skyline, it's, you know, it, uh, hydraulics and, and those, those kind of deep pockets like no one's coming to save me i need to uh i need to finish this and and get it all like for what the budget is mm -hmm. and um and not you know not going to have this uh the, the infrastructure of a big vfx company to to bail anything out so um so in in the um the prep phase i've been kind of merciless about cutting the script down and uh and and taking out whole sequences that uh, i don't think i ever would have when i was younger but it's also the nature of the beast of like every time I go and meet with uh, Eco and the Awise team and I see their choreo, I'm like, well, this is better writing than what's in the script. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to give more space for this and get my shit out of there. Like this, <laughs> this stuff's fucking amazing. So, uh, you know, I, I think that that also helps that little bit of of uh, of uh experience and just being like you know uh i've i've got these guys we've hired them they they're they're doing awesome work if the script is a hundred pages and they add you know 20 minutes of choreo there's just no way that we're going to get it to the runtime that that everyone wants so i i, I really you know I've, I've cut the script down i think my first draft was 95 pages and i'm i'm uh i'm down to like 86 because you know i know 
that that'll probably still end up around, um, you know, 95 to 100 minutes uh, in the finished film. I don't mind a long film thing, but yeah, the 90 minute just seemed kind of perfect. I don't know what it is about that 90 minute mark. And I am a person who will go see a Mark Scorsese movie and defend yeah, I, three or four hours. I was talking mark, with so, a friend yeah. about this. I don't know. It's like, it just, it, it just depends on what kind of movie it is. And, yeah. um, you know, it's like, you know, I think the, a really great like example of it is Raid and Raid 2. That Raid 2 is just like a masterpiece and it's so well made, I think, as a as a, a step up from Raid, which is like a perfect movie. It's mm. like every se- sequence is, is plused and you see the growth of everybody involved. But the Raid is 100 minutes and it's just a yeah. kind of a perfect time that like yeah. you just you put it on and you watch the whole thing, whereas... I noticed the raid too. I more watch the third act over again. You yeah, know? Mm-hmm. you do that with the raid too. You just want to go. Just that the scene on the subway with the hat with the two thing with the hammers, and then that final act of um of the raid too. Just like yeah. in the kitchen yeah. is just yeah, it's just perfection. So and all the yeah. yeah, no, no, it's like three of the best fights ever back to back. So it's yeah. like yeah, you just want to you just kind of want to revisit that. Whereas uh, so so that is you know just trying to you know the, that that kind of uh like inspiration of just being like i just still feel like where i'm at uh as a, as a filmmaker and a storyteller and then it's just also the realities of the, the the budget and the schedule and the time that i have um i don't have the time to make anything longer um uh, when i'm shooting so um so yeah i i still kind of feel like that's uh that's that's a sweet spot for us that we should uh we should be focusing on no, it's it's a good a good uh, sweet spot. Um, I have a friend, uh, Matt Bledsoe, who also has a podcast, but he always has that sort of the shorter the better. So as soon as I hear anything that's like a one an hour twenty, I'm like, well, that's Matt approved. Um, so yeah, no, it's kind of just sort of fascinating. It does make sense that because you had hydraulics sort of helping you, you could kind of just go bigger and make uh, Beyond Skyline more of a kaiju movie because you had those. I always say my favorite thing in a sci-fi movie is when a little thing jumps out of a big thing. So you realize they're kind of working it. So as soon as you see that little alien jump, well, he's not a little alien, he's like six foot or whatever, but he's jumps out of the big thing. I was like, oh yes, this is great. Great. I don't know what it is about that concept, but it just works every single time. Yeah. We, we kind of like, I don't know when, when that idea came up. I want to say it was a little bit more in the post of the first skyline mm-hmm. because they, there's not a great shot revealing it, but if you watch it again, they're, they're, when he's trying to kill David Zayas in the apartment, there is like, you can see the creature, his face gets ripped open and you see that there's a little thing in there. But I don't think it was, uh, because it was like something we did in post, it wasn't like fully um, landed on, mm. that, like clear. So it was funny when people were like, Oh, you're you're ripping off uh, Pacific Rim, and I was like, "There's a fucking pilot in the fucking you know in the movie in 2010." Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so so to me, it was like by the fact that there was you saw that there was a pilot in the first one meant that the second one had to have a kaiju fight, you know, because mm-hmm. because that meant that we could get in and pilot their, uh, you know, their craft. So mm-hmm. to me, that was like it, it it was it was the demands of of the sequel. It was uh, Chekhov's. Uh, you know, kaiju. I, I had to do it. <laughs> um, do you have? Um, did you watch uh, Godzilla movies or just some of like the, the Roland Emmerich from nineteen ninety eight when you were younger, or is it just something that when you were just starting to make movies and start getting creative, it was just something you could play with? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I watched a bunch of these type of movies on, uh, there was a thing in, in Massachusetts called TV 38 Movie Loft. And uh, they, they would play, um, you know, like the old King Kong, the old Godzilla. And I actually really liked the Jeff Bridges King Kong as a kid. <laughs> Wait, I, I'm sorry, what? Yeah, I mean- Is I, it Jeff I, Bridges King Kong? Yeah, from 1974, Dilla Dee Laurentis or something. Yeah. It's It's wild, yeah. Yeah, Jessica okay. Lang is yeah. Jessica Lang is 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 immense uh yes. in that one. <laughs> so uh that is the word for it. Yeah. So like, you know, I, I, I didn't I didn't discriminate in quality at that age. I, I just was like, wow, this one's so crazy because it, it and it's got like a lot of like um, you know, automatic gunfire at the King Kong, but it it's maybe one of the last big budget like men in suit movies. Cause I think mm. it, people felt like at the time, like this is, this is the it and you can't um, people weren't really blown away by the effects, I guess. But when I went to visit universal studios as a, as a kid in Florida, I think that was like um, there was a big King Kong thing on the ride when you did the, uh, the studio tour um, and it was from that movie. So I had a lot of affection for that one, but I got, I, I gotta say, I really feel like, my main um, kaiju like inspiration, the thing that I really, really loved was Power Rangers, uh, like uh, unironically loved Power Rangers. And even though I, I felt like I, I, it came out when I was like maybe in seventh grade. So it was like the end of being a kid. But I, I still would like appointment viewing, watch it every day uh, after school. And I even bought the figures. I even like secretly bought a Kimberly figure and just <laughs> had it <laughs> the big amy joe johnson fan uh, so uh so that one um i would say more than any kaiju and uh yeah which is 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 kind of uh uh ridiculous but that was the one that i loved i loved voltron as a as a young kid um and everyone like when uh like that like my my brother is like six years older than me so all the kids that were like six years older you know i was born in 82 they all had the like the big ass voltron that like you got all the cats and it was this massive figure when you'd go over friends houses and it was just like oh my god this is so cool so uh so those were those were kind of my main um you know kaiju uh inspirations as a kid no my cousin had that thing with the Voltron with all the with all the cats and I absolutely stole it one day like I was a five and my yeah my mother still goes oh that goddamn time you stole that friggin plastic lion thing I'm like it was Voltron and it was awesome and I wanted it but um <laughs> I had to give it back I got in big big trouble for that um Max what is generally your where did you come across the kaiju for the first time was it Godzilla or Power um, Rangers or pretty sure it was Godzilla yeah yeah now that Liam mentions it I can I can't now. I can't shake the Power Rangers influence off of uh, Beyond Skyland. I can I can one hundred percent see that it's it are it could be seen as like an R rated uh, Power Rangers to an extent. Uh, but yeah, yeah no, actually, I, yeah. As a sort of uh, not to put <laughs> Liam on uh, to age Liam, but like um, as sort of like a twenty years later sort of thing to some extent. Uh, I grew up not with uh, I grew up in Virginia, and uh, I used to watch the Sci Fi Channel a lot, and so. Um, Saturdays they would do these uh, marathons and so they'd have like a 9 p.m like world premiere movie and these were if you've ever watched it like very cheesy um 
movies. So like Bull versus Python was like one. Um, but they also occasionally did um, like a whole day of like Godzilla films. So uh, that's kind of where a lot of my movie diet as a kid came from. Is just sitting in front of TV on a Saturday and just trying to catch all the movies they were playing. Um, but I had all of the... Uh, excuse me if I'm going to butcher this, all the Heisei uh, Godzilla films on VHS, some of the Showa and some of the Millennium, but Godzilla was the main diet. I also had the 98 film. I'm sure I watched it a lot, but now I kind of like refuse to because it's bad. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, a bunch of a bunch of Godzilla. I King Kong, I think my first real introductory experience besides the original uh, King Kong versus Godzilla was uh, the Peter Jackson in 2005. Uh it's been a while since I've seen it, but it's very good. But no, uh, yeah, uh, definitely, definitely Godzilla. <laughs> no, because I would have said my introduction was the role of Emmerich Godzilla when I was a teenager, but then I was watching Power Rangers after school. So I, that was probably it. I just didn't quite understand the references to what they were doing. I just thought they were weird-ass monsters with witches, and then I really liked Billy. Um, I think it was the blue one? Um, can't yeah, quite Billy. remember. Yeah, um, I liked Billy. So I think... Yeah, that was definitely there. And when you sort of said, oh, yeah, I'm like, absolutely. That has got some definite Power Rangers things going on in there. I mean, Power um, Rangers is like, it is just like a, a live action Voltron. So yeah. was, even as a kid who loved Voltron, I was like immediately like, oh, my God, they're, they're just doing Voltron. And yeah, so I, I loved it. Yeah. No, I can absolutely see that. And I do remember watching Voltron because I do, as I said, I stole my cousin's uh, figuring for it because it was always one kid who obviously had all six of them or five of them um but it is yeah so it's kind of amazing so there's sort of these different variations because when i grew older i thought well it's godzilla and i tracked down the original and went oh my god this is like amazing and then i really got into the shower ones because they are just get plain weird and trippy and 1950s-esque and just like destroy your monsters where you're watching it going okay so this is what we're doing we're having weird aliens coming down hypnotizing all the monsters who live in monster land to go out and destroy different modeled cities it's um it's it, it gets kind of nutty especially when you get the aliens involved but yeah. um which i love i mean the other ones you just straight like destroy i'm like no give me the weird aliens give me the weird this is absolutely making no sense where their technology is cons <laughs> considering this is meant to be set contemporarily i i, I yeah I, I do find all that charming it's a killer setup. I mean, yeah. I, the, the beginning where it's just like, and all the aliens live in monster land. You're like, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And if you, if your movie starts with, or sorry, not all the aliens, all, all the monsters live in monster land <laughs> and, uh, and they all have specific uh, control features to keep them there. I mean, that's great. You know, I was just thinking when you guys said though about Roland Emmerich, because I think, I think you have to put Jurassic Park in there, even though you don't think of it as a kaiju, but, it obviously influenced, uh, you know, Emmerich's movie so much. And I, I always had like a big argument with one of my friends that like, is Jurassic Park sci-fi or is it a creature feature? And he was like, it's sci-fi. I'm like, yes, it's sci-fi. But I, 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 I still maintain that it's like true heart is, is a, is a big creature feature. It is that sort of 1950s creature feature thing, like on steroids. Um, so I do think I do think that's another one that um, I'd have to put in there, and and uh, it's one of those movies that I feel like I've uh, I'll constantly rip off, whether I'm aware of it or not. Um, and even at the time, it was like I really I really loved Jurassic Park when I saw it. I saw it several times in the theater, but I'm not sure I realized how 
big it was for me at the time when I look back in hindsight, like how much it, it, it influenced kind of everything. So uh, yeah, I put that one in there as well. Yeah, I mean, Jurassic Park, well, it was a big deal for me because I remember going to see it in 93 and just being, oh my God, he brought back dinosaurs. And that first T-Rex scene just destroyed me like completely. So yeah, I mean, I think you're right. It's, it is kind of, yes, it is sci-fi, but it's kind of more creature feature because you can kind of tell that's where Spielberg's kind of having more fun. It's like, I get to play around exactly. with the creatures and they get to do this and we get to react like this and raptors opening doors and everything like that so it does have that kind of 50s hey this is a good idea no 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 it's absolutely not with that disaster movie kind of feel as well um which again beyond skyline definitely has because it is an alien invasion but it's also about how these different characters are reacting to this one momentous event um so it, it, yeah but it's kind of amazing how jurassic park's just kind of seeped into everything since 93 yeah yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I remember when they were they were bringing it back and people were comparing it to Star Wars. And I was kind of like, no, but then then I really do think about it. I'm like, it is definitely one of those those big landmark movies that uh, that uh, I continue to go back to and, and rewatch the kids and, and reference in my work in different ways. So I definitely. It's put also, that it's, yeah. Oh, sorry. I, mm. No, sorry. no, go, go, go. <laughs> No, it's it's also just a shame because we talk about Jurassic Park and like, um, is it sci-fi? Is it a creature feature? But I think also I I do. It's a blend of both, obviously. But I also think it kind of kicks off those '90s creature features to an extent. Obviously, a lot of those are, a lot of them go a lot harder than probably what Jurassic Park does. Uh, I mean, like I watched Mimic for the first time a few weeks back, and it was very very good. Um, so it is kind of a shame in a sense that Jurassic World did as good as it does. And it's like, okay, can we, can we get like a wave of creature features to go along with this? And it's like, it's not, which, and also, I mean, I think outside of what 65 from earlier this year, it's so rare that you see a big budget movie with dinosaurs in it, uh, outside of Jurassic Park as well. Um, yeah, Yeah, no. Yes, which is great that we are getting another Godzilla movie uh, minus one, hopefully at the end of this year, uh, which I'm very much looking uh, forward to because I'm just like, yeah, let's just big more monsters. I mean, as much as I have issues with Kong versus Godzilla, I still just watching them fight in Hong Kong. I'm just like, yes, this is this is what I want. Um, and then I'm just kind of starting to love all the kind of the underground stuff. But there is something about watching a big thing. I mean, even in uh, Steven Spielberg's sequel, um, The Lost World, he puts oh, yeah. the T-Rex in San Francisco because he wanted to do a Godzilla thing. So San Diego. San Diego. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> New York was a San in there. Um, and on the West Coast, I was like, no, it wasn't New York. Um, but yeah, he does San Francisco that. probably would have had more memorable, uh, you <laughs> yes. know, like, like imagery. San Diego is kind of like, yeah, it's not. He goes to like a blockbuster. Yeah, there's not yeah. much. To he goes past a drive-in or something and eats a dog. You can see the kennel hanging from his teeth. I haven't seen that movie in a while, actually. And probably... Um, you know what? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I did watch it again uh, within the past couple of years and, and I came up on it. I, I, I definitely I mean, the, I always fucking loved the sequence with those um, those those tram cars hanging yes. over the, edge of the cliff. Yes. Yep. Um, so it, good. It's just a masterful set piece. But uh, yeah, I, one of those things where, you know, it's obviously got the, some of the sequel issues and and weird flights of fancy but uh, ultimately came away like that. That's a, that's a damn good time. I'm going to be the odd man out. 
I, I love Jurassic Park 3. I know it gets hate, but no, I mean, I, I, no, I think I like that's that movie. a yeah. Well, that's like an 82 minute just straight monster ride from beginning to end. Alan. 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 <laughs> yes. I no, I love I I I actually I it's I'm, one of the ones that I do think it's just a, it just is missing that one ending when the military is on the beach and yeah. the big monster comes out like just give me like like 4 or 5 minutes of them, you know, shooting this thing back and escaping i, just I agree it's missing that capper mm. yeah. yeah but i do I, I, i've always liked that one too um yeah yeah i saw that in theaters that that was my official like first dress park in theaters and uh <laughs> you mean as a kid it's it's weird when you think about what you're scared of as a kid and i'm pretty sure as a kid i was scared of that opening segment where they're on the boat and the um uh, I, I, I don't know what you call it when they're attached to it, but they're, oh, yeah. they're high up in the air. Paragliding. They're par paragliding. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure as a kid that scared the hell out of me. But then, oh, oh you know what? It was when the um, Spinosaurus, when it gets the guy inside the plane, and he's like, no, 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 no. And he slides down and just, it's just like chomping. I was like, oh, as a kid, that probably scared the hell out of me. <laughs> um, but yeah, and like, movie. yeah, eat yeah. him. <laughs> no, it's a very, very vicious movie, um, which yeah. I kind of like. For some reason, Jurassic World, I get annoyed when it gets that vicious. But when um, Jurassic Park 3 does it, I'm like, yeah, you eat those people. I don't know if it's a tonal thing or what, but it's just, yeah, the dinosaurs being dinosaurs. They're not going to be, yeah, they're just going to go in and destroy. Um, speaking of going in and destroying, how do you guys feel about the miniature work in um, the in um, Destroy Your Monsters? Because it's so, I love how you're watching it and it's literally the camera in just this kind of miniature kind of town and you're obviously in a miniature world, but there's something kind of cool about just Godzilla, a guy in a suit, just stamping on things in a, in a, um, in a miniature set. Yeah. I mean, and they, they really nail like the angles on him and the, the timing, you know, that he, he's filmed in a, the different frame rate. Um, I, I just will watch it and I go, man, this is such a fucking pain in the ass. <laughs> yes. This movie, like every single shot is almost like another one-off of another thing that they have to do and blow up. And yeah, it's, it's no joke too, probably. Yeah. It's oh. no joke. It, that, these movies were hard as fuck to make. That's I, that. But... I don't know Did how those have many around in those beyond Skyline. No, no. Nope. I mean, there, okay. there was like, one talk because the production designer had worked on like Batman and he'd done miniatures and he was like, uh, there's the scene where he goes in and there's all the big um, tankers. It, we called it the armory where all the big tankers were parked and he gets the the explosion explosive out of its claw. And he was like, can I make a miniature tanker? And I was like, yes. And then uh, Greg Strauss, who owns the visual effects company was like, no. <laughs> 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 um, you know, but I, you know, when I see this stuff, I actually, I actually always think that the, there's such a missed opportunity. Um, not, not that I'm goofing on it, but like, like, like Will Ferrell's Land of the Lost or, um, or, or some of these movies that are doing, you know, comedies to like use like some of these techniques in those type of films, instead of trying to look like, you know, Jurassic Park or stuff like that. I always think it'd be, it's, it's such a shame that people don't use these techniques in different ways, I guess, because there is, there is an element, there's a, there's a humanity to it that I think would lend itself more into, into like comedies and high concept things like that. Like even in, even like uh, when you watch Logan's run and they're doing all the, the, the miniatures and that, and it's going to a mall, you're like, I can see a comedic version of this that you could do nowadays 
and people would would lap it up but it feels like studios like they're just so allergic to that to that concept and they want to even like your highness like that movie should have had more practical effects and miniatures and, and it should have something like that rather than doing cg creatures and stuff like that yeah, I mean, they kind of play around with the model idea in Hot Fuzz when um, Simon Pegg and yeah. <laughs> uh, Tim Dalton are kind of having that fight in the miniature of the version of the town. Um, and then he falls down the steeple and it's one ice cream and it's hilarious. Um, but yeah, you're right. They don't kind of do those techniques. And I kind of like guys in suits. I mean, going back to something, because there is a humanity, going back to something like Creature of the Black Lagoon and a poor guy had to wear a suit while swimming underwater. Um, but there is a humanity to that character that you can look at and go, oh, he's in love with Julie Adams. And same when they uh, say when Lindsay's talking to um, Rose is talking to Trent, because there's a guy there, you can kind of feel the humanity a little bit more than say with all the VFX. But in saying that the VM, via the I'm butchering the, how to say it, the effects on top of it work really well. So there's the melding of the two that I think, should be used a little bit more, but in saying yeah. that, I don't make movies and I don't know how any of this works. So yeah, uh, it's it's just I think it's it's also like in, in age. I think people of a certain age, like us, will. Um, uh, sorry, Max, I know you're younger. I don't want to. Argue <laughs> but uh, I, hey, I, I I agree with you. <laughs> but I, I mean, they'll like they would respond to like you said, Trent in Skylines, because you know it's like the third movie, and you you know transitioning this design. For something that's meant to be a monster and turning it into a hero is interesting right like i i knew I, I knew it had to do both in beyond skyline because i knew it had to be scary but then you know i i felt like the design in the first movie was like like very cronenberg and kind of um like depressing if if it in a little and, and not as heroic and it was just not really an option because of it being fully cg so when I was doing it, I was trying to be like, well, you know, I've always kind of wanted to be a predator. So it's not like such a depressing thing to get my head stuck into a predator, whereas <laughs> my head stuck into Cronenberg's The Fly is like, there's put the gun to my head. You know yeah. what I mean? So, so there was like uh, a little bit of that, like, okay, you know, a predator is a is a really great design that can be both scary, but also heroic. And there's a reason why, you know, kids love, uh, love that and that there's all these team ups and AVP and all that type of thing. So that's where I kind of was like, it needs to be both and beyond skyline. And then in, in skylines, it's really primarily uh, like, like your sidekick. It's like your, your, your beer drinking buddy is, uh, is the alien. So you got to kind of film it in a different way. Um, but I definitely noticed it'd be like younger people would be like, wow, the mouth doesn't even move. You know what I mean? So it just depends on, um, I think, yeah, you know, your, your level of suspension of disbelief, because like when I'm looking at Jeremy Fitzgerald who plays it on set, he just has like a little LED in his eyes and it's black and uh, the eyes aren't there, you know, for the edit. But I like emotionally am 100 percent invested just in that. I don't yeah. even need the CGI. <laughs> so when I'm like when when they're filming the the stuff at the end and uh, and he said, uh, you know, uh, when he says, when he kind of makes his big move to, to save Rose, like I was doing his voice back to our off camera and I like start like tearing up and I'm like, Oh man, like uh, what, what's happening. So like that Trent, uh, Trent was kind of my, my stand in on the movies and that kind of, um, 
And, and so obviously I, I emotionally connect to him, but I notice some people will be like, uh, whatever. Um, it, it definitely is, it, you know, uh, certain people want to connect to those things and certain people just want to see the most, uh, you know, cutting edge, you know, uh, like uh, Groot and Rocket type of effects. Uh, and that's that. Yeah. And I, and I think also more to your point, uh, I think suit acting is something that we, especially as you relate to um, the aliens in Skylines uh, being like you want to be a predator, especially when you look at the predator films with prey uh, and the predator and even AVPR, there's so much of the time where you don't see these creatures phases. You just have the mask. So it's all about their physicality. You know, uh, obviously in AVPR Wolf, you know, he's very athletic. He's very investigative. I remember um, way back in 2006, 2007, I forget how old I was, but I was very young. <laughs> I remember reading Fangoria and um, they called him, uh, what's his name from Pulp Fiction? Uh, the Wolf. Harvey yeah. Keitel's Wolf. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they based him off of that. Uh, the Predator, you know, in, in that film, at least the one that's uh, in, in the suit, the guy in the suit, uh, he's very, I think he's kind of very funny. Uh, he gets in that uh, car, he slaughters all the soldiers, and then the guy's like, hey, is everything all right? And he takes the arm, and he's just like, it's all good, <laughs> and then he just sits down. Um, and so I think, I, I definitely agree with you, Liam, that I, I don't think you need the eyes uh, a lot of the time. You, it's all in, you know, how they move, um, how they're, what their body says about the situation, and you can see that in Beyond Skylines, because the main Excuse me, I'm very sorry. Um, the main alien of that, you know, especially once uh, uh, Mark gets on the ship and they're all trying to figure out what's going on, that alien is constantly looking at the hologram. He's like looking around like he's just moving his body away where he's he gets kind of pissed and more and more pissed throughout that sequence and throughout the film, which is just like, all right, handle it, handle it, handle it. He's like, all right, fuck it, I'm going to do it myself, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, you know, he just reminded me of something Um and, and it was something Lindsay pointed out earlier about the sort of Russian doll aspect. And so that, that was something I did in, uh, in Skylines because the, the faces were supposed to move in Beyond Skyline. Like they were like, oh yeah, we'll animate the mouth and we'll, we'll animate the, the mandibles. Don't worry, you don't need animatronics because um, we didn't have the budget to do all that or, or the time really. Uh, and then, of course, we're in post. That's the first thing that they're like, "No, nah, you don't need it. You don't need it." <laughs> so, so, uh, so for the um, the harvester uh, bad guys, the shepherd, um, you know, he dies in Beyond Skyline, and he gets blasted in the face, and then we see him kind of fall over. But so, I, I thought there was an interesting opportunity for uh, the character we call the matriarch in uh, in Skylines that that the, the the face of the harvester isn't actually the face. And uh, it opens up and there's uh, kind of a more typical gray alien inside. Um, and so it was just a little bit of a retcon because I was like, I know I can afford to CG face for this one scene. Uh, and, uh, and, and then, in, in, you know, if you're looking back at the other one, you're like, how come the face doesn't move? It's like, well, it's not the real face. It's just a mask. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it kind of fits in with the theme of Skyline as in the fact that you have these kind of um, harvesters or shepherds and then you have the other guys who have someone's brain just kind of implanted in them and so they're walking right. around. They're, they're kind of more robotic. Yeah. Because because uh, it's like this, uh, you know, like even the, the word that the, the, the slur for what they are is shells, like the, yeah. the shell. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and the brain is inside, the human brain's inside. So for them, I'm a little, 
yeah, I have a little more leeway um, on on the movements and stuff. And yeah, it is. Jeremy Fitzgerald is a is a fantastic um, suit actor. And you, you, for me, I can always tell when he's in the suit or if I have a a different stunt man because he was tired and um, the running on those fucking legs is not easy. Uh, and so, you know, we, we, we'll have other people come in for certain scenes and cycle it in. But uh, he also, you know, took the time to get a really great rapport with Lindsay. So she she always felt like there was a difference uh, when he was in the scene. And yeah, it, 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 it's it, it like th- that was um, the scene that like I guess I'm mainly referencing to is in Skylines. It's very early on when she gets reunited with her brother and uh, they're kind of gearheading out and talking about stuff and it was kind of early on in production and to me it was like if this scene doesn't work the movie doesn't work and uh, and she just like came in and did a ton of different takes tried a bunch of different things and like treated him regarded him as such a real character that i was like okay i've got a movie now so yeah i i i loved her work in that scene no, I mean, you have to, and you absolutely believe it. Because what I do love, sort of the overall kind of arching themes of both kind of Beyond Skyline and Skylines is the kind of the idea of this chosen family. Like in Beyond Skyline, you have the two fathers, they make promises to each other, and then Frank Grillo ends up raising Rose as well with um, Bianca. And I like that, just like, oh, it's like you just, you sort of just, you know, when you're watching um, Destroy All Monsters and it's just... So what if scientists were cool and could do things with rockets? <laughs> it's not necessarily thematically rich or anything like that. I mean, there's some uh, cool stuff with, you know, the environment and all that kind of thing, but it's more, so scientists, they're cool, right? Um, and in this one, it's more about, oh, chosen family and siblings and just the way that, yeah, um, that scene at the end when they're just walking in and they're just like best buds. And then when you go into Skylines and that relationship just grows and they have that almost shorthand, even though, Trent's not saying anything. He's just like clicking and it, yeah, no, I'm just like, no, there's something going on here. I like it. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, it was, uh, again, to bring it to, uh, to the, the prep and, and working with eco again. And like, uh, it was kind of interesting what his memories were of the movie different from mine. But when I go back and I'm like, what I think really worked with, with him in the movie is that, um, you know, once I once I got to know him and and work with him and see how he works with uh, his team, um, you know the, he's a physical genius. Like I'm not I'm not not fucking. I, it's probably not news to you, but mm-hmm. it is kind of interesting to just say it out loud. But like mm-hmm. the way he moves, like in a rehearsal, it's like I don't know why you just kind of like everyone else is super talented, super good. He'll watch the choreo and then he starts doing it, and you're like. <gasps> You know, I just don't know why, but uh, but I, I was talking to him about this, and I was like, I think one of the reasons that that role works for you and 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 uh, works in this movie so well was because um, when when I talked to him about that, I said, oh, you know, you're a leader of these guys. I want you to just be that way in the movie. I want you to just walk into the scenes like that. You're the leader of this crew, and you're the leader of every room that you're in, and and so he really does. Like he just kind of like walks into the base. He, he never backs down from Frank in any of the scenes. He's got his chest out and, uh, and the camera loves him and he gets to kind of be in command. And I was like, yeah, you know, you're just like not a normal dude. <laughs> 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 like, like it just, it, I like that the movie treats you like you 
you're the star of another movie that just kind of came in halfway through and it like really does he's got his own movie going on and all of a sudden the ship just came in and now he has to kind of deal with that in his movie and there's yeah. frank willow and everyone else i i love that idea he's just like which when you said oh it would have been cool to have him at the start i do get that because he is as much as frank grillo is the star of the movie also it's it's ego so yeah yeah he, yeah <laughs> you can't it's like he just doesn't give an inch because he's got that uh screen presence and and of course once i started working with him i just kept adding stuff like yeah the, the, fight, the fight scene with uh very with the with him stabbing his throat was not in the script but it was like the day before i was like can we do another fight here <laughs> <laughs> and they're like really uh, and I, I actually have a question about the the eco fighting in general, and also, um, oh god, I'm sorry, I just want to make sure I don't kill his name. Um, Rudy, is that is that you said? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, so especially towards the end in that final fight sequence, you have them both. Um, you have them with Grillo, and then obviously Grillo r- runs off to go help uh young Rose. But you've got both of them fighting the aliens. So what was that process like? Because obviously. Uh, you had them on because of the raid and the raid both of them they fuck people up like and you give them knives and i like i love yeah. the moment when real's like hey i've got this alien uh sword it's yours now he's like oh shit great i can, I can fuck him <laughs> up and it's it i relate this also to destroy our monsters because you give them that moment of all right fuck up these aliens <laughs> and then in destroy our monsters you have godzilla and the rest of the monsters king Ghidorah. he lands and they're like you yeah, let's fuck him up mm-hmm. and they're just beating the shit out of him just bullying him and you you have that same sort of vibe with um eco and yayan so what mm-hmm. was that like and uh was that how did you come up with that was that just a mix of you and uh eco and yayan or was that like all them uh no i mean it was was definitely more more collaborative like i said just because um because i didn't know what i was doing and um and and they were so respectful and didn't just Mm. tell me what to do (laughs) (laughs) that it was um but there was even even just like in hindsight like um you know we had in the script that that scene i believe the scene was 189 and it was a half a page (laughs) so it was just (laughs) Like they, they fight, they have their last in and then we do this and then they just start sending the choreo and you're like, oh my God, this is so cool. Um, but they didn't quite know what the aliens looked like at that point. Um, mm-hmm. And the guy who made the alien suits, like he didn't expect that they were going to get their asses kicked so bad. So when I remember showing him the choreo, he was like, <gasps> like, you're going to fuck my suits up. <laughs> and, and so it was, it was just sort of a, a very, a very, like I said, kind of thrown together thing. But even, even that day that I talked to you guys about where it rained and then we came back at midnight and then we shot, uh, you know, from midnight to 12, that was the day where we shot Frank waking up on the, at the temple on the battlefield and, and getting the claw and stabbing him. And like that whole beat with the claw and all that stuff was just like all worked out with me and and the DP, like at lunch. And then, and Mm -hmm. then that kind of, kicked off we had we had picked up these different angles and ideas of of him running and doing the whip pan and then that revealing eco and then coming over and, and revealing uh yayan and then getting into the thing but um it was it was kind of in a, a really like nice organic way that uh the shots and everything came up like i i did storyboards in that movie but i didn't know how to storyboard if that makes sense i would just work mm-hmm. with the the storyboard artists they'd given to me, I'd be like, okay, that looks good. But I didn't quite think about like, 
the amount of setups and directions and time, which is kind of more important um, on production to being like, okay, well, we're going to, this is the master. So we're already lit for this direction. So what do I owe here before we can change and come around here? Because that's completely inefficient. If you're going to just start being like, okay, I like this master and then I'm going to get the reverse and then I'm going to come back. I mean, that's how you fuck up your day. So, um, so I was like, the way the storyboards were, were more like a graphic novel with just like these standalone splash pages, which is good. It's a good, it's a good exercise to go through to visualize the movie, but it's not like really confined to like, or not confined, but it's not like specific to what your locations and your setups are going to be on the day. If you're not doing it that way with that experience. So like as a first timer, it was like, it was good. I did them, but now when I do storyboards, it's very, uh, it's a much more specific process where I know like the, the, the 3d space and how, by doing them, I'll, I'll come up with ideas because it's a real, I'm not like the most insane visualist. So it's like, I've written the script and then I'm going through it. And, oh, once, once you know, I love doing them over Zoom, frankly, because then you can kind of just talk to the person and you, you do the shared screen. And, uh, and, and it's a really great process and it, it breaks some ideas out and stuff like that. Um, so, um, but in this case, it was like, we had the location, we had scouted it a bunch of times, my DP and I, and we talked about how to get them all together. And, uh, and he has, you know, great ideas with, with, uh, with handheld operation. And then we went, so it's, it's kind of, it runs in, it's handheld to him. And then it goes on to uh, a Ronin rig, which was kind of new at the time. Um, and then it's, we did that spiral shot and then we did uh, a steady cam shot that was a tighter lens. And so like the first cut of that, like it went around like three times. I was just like, this is the best <laughs> shot ever. And I just kept doing it. <laughs> and even then there's like, there was a little tail to the thing that comes around on them where Frank went like, like it was like making the blade go ching. Yeah. And, and, uh, but, uh, the, they didn't do it. Uh, the VFX, you know, producers were just like, again, th there had to be limits somewhere. And so they didn't do that. So I had to cut the tail of the shot, but I always miss it when I see mm. it because it was such a nice little, you know, punctuation mark. Um, mm. But yeah, so, so that was a, that was again, what we could do on the real location on the day. And I think it was also me knowing that we weren't going to get any more time there. So I needed to really show it off and like really immerse you into that. And then the rest of it is all just shooting into a corner on a back lot. So it's very much like, that sort of picks your angles because you're going to separate everybody uh, from, from the, the scrum. Um, and so, yeah, then it was like, okay, we designed the shot where we can get over to eco. He's got the first bit of choreo. We've got eco out there for a few hours and we do his. And uh, you know, that's always like, he's the easiest. Uh, uh, and of course, Yayan is all really easy to shoot those guys um, and try different, shots like we you, we would get the normal sort of coverage but then um i would just be like oh let's do one with yayan where it's like where the pov of the alien that's getting killed and we would just try different stuff uh on that backlog because you, you kind of had a little bit of a, a luxury of time um because we owned it you know and um and unfortunately grillo like had a really bad hamstring tear the first time we filmed that scene on the backlog so it changed the way I was going to cover it. Um, there was like a big frontal master mm -hmm. into the corner where you could see everybody and, and track what was doing, what he was doing. 
And it was sort of a move where he did like a, a right hook and then did a back kick. Um, and, and, you know, I was always saying to the guys, I was like, you know, the guy's a cop from LA, like he's not like a kicker. And uh, I would, the, the, the slang for white people here is boules. So I'd always be like, boules don't kick. Boules don't kick. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I remember Eco was like, it's fine, Frank. He's like, snap it, just snap your leg back. And so then he snaps the leg back and the stuntman missed his mark. He didn't get, cause they're in padded suits. They can take, you know, a kick mm. to that, to the midsection. Um, but he didn't get there in time. So he just kicks the air and that's how he tore his hamstring. And so, you know, he falls to the ground and like, it's like, uh, and you're just like, Oh, there's my movie just, you know, falling apart. Like I said, it's a shit show. Uh, so, so he had to take a few days off. And I think that's actually why we had so much time to work on Eco and Yayan's, um, parts of the movie. And then when he came back, it was like, let's just focus on your performance and like, like really powerful power claw stabs. And so that's where he's like, ah, I like that. that <laughs> like, don't, don't try to be what they are. Just be yourself. Yeah. You know? so just, just go with the real power uh, type of stabs. And then um, the end where it was like spinning around them, you know, it felt like that was what the choreo wanted. And it was also, um, you know, it was so hard to get the creature to stand still in the middle so um, we had Anise Cherfa, who's like one of the best, one of the best uh, stunt fighters, stunt men, um, trickers in the world. And he was that, that end alien um, that they're fighting. And so we had him on a platform. So it kind of just made sense to keep him on the edge of the frame, like his shoulders on the edge of the frame and spin around with the city cam. Mm. So you didn't notice that he was standing on like a bunch of Apple boxes. <laughs> uh, and it, it, so it all just kind of lended itself to, to working out that way. So you did not make it easier at all on yourself for your first directorial. <laughs> no, no. And then I, I, and then like, I mean, just when they came out, it's still not like it's, it's one of, one of my least favorite shots is like when, um, when Trent comes and rescues them and then like their reactions. Cause I just remember it was like, they're like out on the back lot and I'm like, got a laser pointer. And I'm like, it's Trent. And they're all just like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a thing that Ridley Scott went viral with recently talking about the hologram board of Prometheus and all the actors asking all the questions. And he's just like, at the end of the day, you just have to say like, shut the fuck up. That's why. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I wish I had a little bit more of that, uh, that in me. Uh, when I just be like, no, 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 it's Trent. It's your fucking son. Like, you know, and, and just, but I just remember, you know, just running around with a laser pointer and yelling out cues and everyone being like, this is ridiculous. So, um, yeah, that some of that, uh, it, it just barely works. No, it's, yeah, I mean, that's all sort of planned out. And then when you go to destroy your monsters and when uh, I always pronounce his wrong, even though I have a hearing of him, um, Jira, Jira, um, with the three heads, they just kind of jump on him and just like jumping on his neck. And even though, even though it's a puppet, I'm like going, that looks, looks like that really hurts. Like, mm. like you're breaking the poor guy's neck and it, he's just like squealing because I do like he's the like, sound he makes. He's, yeah. he's Godzilla's greatest enemy and he, he just gets dumped on. <laughs> I've, so I've never seen him get, I've, I, 
because it, it it was funny just watching that in Beyond Skies. It's like they're bullying these aliens. Like it's not really fair that you've got Iko and Yaya just like just cutting them, stabbing yeah. them, and then you've no, got the way, Ghidorah. The way they cut that guy's thigh is just like it's it's such overkill on his thigh. Yeah. Yes. Can you cut somewhere else on me, please? <laughs> and, and then you've got Ghidorah. He can fly. Yeah. He can shoot lightning. He's got three heads, and he's like, I'm gonna land, and I'm gonna assert dominance. They're like, No, the fuck, you're not. We're it's gonna like, bully you. Yeah, it's like, who the hell are you, bitch? And then just like jumping on him like it's a freaking Looney Tunes. It's a, it's kind of amazing. And you're like, oh, he's like the biggest badass in the whole monster universe. And, and they like, take him out least, in two seconds. <laughs> and at least like in Beyond Skyline, you have that moment where obviously he comes back in the sequel, but you get Yayam where he gets torn apart. Ghidorah doesn't even get that. He just he just gets beat up the whole time. And it's like, it's just five minutes of straight bullying. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's with uh, Yayan. I obviously I hadn't seen Skyline, so I didn't know he was going to come back. Did you? Did you initially have him killed? Was that his? Yeah, yeah, like, he was. He was yeah, completely he was dead. dead. It was just like uh, <laughs> the Black Knight were... from friggin' Monty Python. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's completely dead. Um, but we're just like in uh, in prep for for Skylines, and um, my the produ- the the main producer on um, on Skylines and uh, and Beyond Skyline and. And then the upcoming um, radial is, is Matthew Chouse, who's, who's kind of been a, a really good creative partner for me over the years. And we were both just like, it's just, there's just, we're missing some of the the, the, the wackiness. Like we're missing some of the craziness of uh, of that. And, uh, you know, what, how could we do it? And, and uh, you know, we just have... Uh, uh, such a great relationship with Yayan and uh, can can kind of reach out to him and he's on a plane with a call away so um it was it was just kind of one of those uh hey, wait i think i think I, I think this could fit in and be you know a really fun sort of uh plus and 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 kind of add that extra bit of uh like i said sort of sort of our our, our beyond skyline flavor back into the movie um, you know, like even like the movies aren't developed in a, in a vacuum. And I, I think that's sort of, um, when I'm talking about, um, you know, my progress and, and my process and all this stuff, it's like, well, I, you know, I was working for these, these two, uh, guys and, and everything was sort of filtered through them. So, you know, from, from, uh, AVPR, all the way to Skylines, because, uh, when I originally wrote Skylines, there, there was a time where they were going to direct it um because they wanted to come back and do it again and and so like my first draft was a little bit more uh, i'd say actually quite a bit more beyond skyline because um there was there was more knife scenes which you know i like i like and they were just like uh too much knife and then uh i don't even know if i want to tell you guys this because it might really disappoint you um there was a scene in uh in skylines that it didn't. It, it got cut from the script phase. It never made it too far, but it was in there where, um, you know, Rose and uh, and Leon get into that tanker, and um, and then they they get out of the, um, you know, out of the uh, that, that sort of um, uh, crash ship on the surface of Cobalt. This is the third act. They get into a tanker. So naturally, I had the matriarch like get into a weird tanker of her own and there was a kaiju fight on the surface of the planet <laughs> between her and the tanker and this like spider matriarch tanker that 
they were fighting and then the bomb dropped while they were fighting and blew them off the surface. And that's how they got. And so, so it was a different, um, more expensive Kaiju battle at the end of that. But th those were the things that they were just like, no, you're, you're doing too much of a sequel to be on skyline. And, and, uh, and so, so those things kind of got filtered out and then, um, the, the the bigger budget version i guess that they wanted to do um didn't happen and then uh thankfully through a long process that i uh again the farther away i'll probably get to talk about more uh eventually came back to me and uh and and then it was like okay mom and dad aren't looking anymore so i can sneak more beyond skyline back into this movie <laughs> so so that's kind of <laughs> Uh, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't put something as expensive as the kaiju fight back in, but I, I did get, uh, get Yayan in there and, uh, and, and really changed the ending of the movie. Cause when they direct, they, they thought it wasn't shocking enough. I think a lot of that, that like the shocking deaths of beyond skyline and stuff like they really liked that. And I think there's a, there, there is a time for it. And it is kind of a part of the fun in beyond skyline that like, there's all these people that you'll get introduced to that you think are main characters. And then, nope, you know, nope. they're getting their head ripped <laughs> off. Um, you know, rest in peace, Betty Gabriel, which Max asked um, <laughs> if I had got her after Get Out. But now that you've understood the whole timeline, uh, we were the first uh, movie to to ever cast her. And then she did Get Out afterwards and it came out and she's a big star. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Jordan yeah. Peele saw that. He was like, oh, he gets her brain sucked out? No, he, you know he, what? He, I, can, I can he work with out, that. I think we came out <laughs> A year afterwards because i think she yeah. came, that came out 2016 for get out right so so he wouldn't have seen it but um she could have told him yeah he he she definitely like hooked up with blumhouse right afterwards because uh she was in purge three and then i mm -hmm. think that led to get out something like that but they they yeah. definitely were were hip to her because my casting director worked for Blumhouse uh too. Uh, so he ended up doing a bunch of stuff for Blumhouse. So he obviously loved her and uh and who wouldn't and brought her uh on onto those movies or at least got her in front of those uh creatives and and they saw her talent as well. But yeah, so that sort of surprise death thing in Skylines, they wanted Trent to to die at the end. And uh and I just was like, ah just didn't feel right to me. But it was it was that way in the script, like all the way into production. I actually talked about this on Twitter. I did a long thread about it, but I just never kind of felt right to me, but I didn't know what the solution was. And so I, I kind of shot it both ways. And um, like right before we're shooting the end scene of the movie, I I told the creature guy to like put uh, put Jeremy Fitzgerald in a in a leotard with like some silly green things on his hands and and then just came in and we shot it the way it was scripted where he was dead and it was uh it was a more sort of mournful thing and then and it sucked and then uh and then i was like okay i want to do this other old version and um and uh thankfully jonathan howard uh, who played leon in skyline was like super playful improv improvisational light on his feet and we just worked out this whole thing where He's still, you know, bringing him out and and uh, and and saying like, oh no no man, you look good and uh, <laughs> and and brought all that in with uh, with Lindsay and you know shot it you know in an hour afterwards and uh, and I was like, yeah, that that's the end of the movie. This is not a this is a feel good movie. You know, it, it can't end with uh, with her brother um, dying. It just has to be you know another another evolution in in his look, and then you know we can explore that down the road. 
It, no, so what I mean, you're saying is there's a chance for kaiju and radio. No comment. <laughs> no, I know, I know. He's mum, mum's way. <laughs> if it were up to me, there'd always be a kaiju in every movie. So I mean, but it's not it always up to me. There should be a kaiju in every movie, regardless of the movie. There should just be a kaiju that shows up. Oh. Um. Yeah. Th- um. I guess we'll be going for an hour and a half. Um. Thank you so much, Liam, for coming on and talking the kaiju's and movies and going through the process of making a, a movie that seemed bigger than it should have been. Which uh, both with skylines Wait. and thing. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're watching this, going, how did this maniac pull this off? I don't understand this. And you're like, yeah, with a lot of difficulty. By the well, just just naivete though too yeah. like I, yeah. I, it wouldn't look the same way if i made it now because i i i would know not to do certain things but i that's why i wouldn't go back and change anything you know it just it's mm-hmm. it, it, it's it's uh i'm still i'm still very proud of it and for whatever reason i feel like the movies uh seem to be aging well like um even even out here like um at the time, like we did sort of a premiere screening of Beyond Skyline in Indonesia. And like, I got like some funny questions in the Q&A. People were just like, what the fuck is this? Like one guy asked <laughs> drugs I was on when I was making it. And uh, and so I was like, okay, I, I, I could tell it wasn't uh, a beloved classic and there was a lot of head scratching going on. But now when I'm back here and, you know, that it's been around and, and, and seems to uh, still be something people like will revisit and enjoy, it, it's definitely like a lot more positive and people really like the movie. So it, it's it's interesting. Yeah. It, but I also, I, I think that approach that you did, I, I, obviously I know it wasn't that way from day one up until the finished uh, product. But I think the way that you did it, and it's so different from what the first film is. It is a sequel. It's a martial arts movie. It's a kaiju movie. I think it's one of those genre mashups, one of my favorite sort of, and I, I said this because I watched it earlier this week. It's sort of one of my favorite um, things to do with genre films when you just, you put, you start putting things together that normally don't go together and you come out with a product that's just, it's its its very good. Um you do the thing that like McTiernan did with Predator. It's like, oh, I've got Commando and I've got an alien. Boom, let's let's do these two halves of a film and you do the exact same thing and it makes it fresh and it's interesting. And I know a lot of, at least online discourse, we always talk about um, originality and whatnot. And I, I that is a very thin line, I suppose, but I do think yes. something that is missing from a lot of films is that ability to do just do genre mashups. It's not just uh, a martial arts film. It's martial arts film with the kaiju. And, and I think that's that's a very fun way to approach these kind of films or just films in general, rather than just, oh, is it, are we only getting IP? Are we only getting drama or that that sort of thing? Uh, so I, yeah, yeah, I think I, I, what can't you've done seem is to, I can't seem to quite help myself and just make, make a normal movie. Um, <laughs> uh, but at the same time, I kind of feel like that's a little bit of the brand so <laughs> yeah why Why would you i mean it's it's the thing that helps you stick out and i yeah no that's it's very but, fun but yeah it was at the time it was at the time very like um you know and i appreciate the uh the, the critics at the time that um that that got what it was kind of early and came out and supported it because that did make it 
sort of okay for other people. Cause I do think there, there's a world where um, it could have gotten really rejected, you know, right off the bat um, like the first one. And so the fact that uh, there was enough people that kind of were on the wavelength early, it did, it did change the narrative uh, around it all quite a bit. And so, um, you know, it, I, I'm always thankful for that. And then, yeah, I mean, the, 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 like I said, it just, it seems to, seems to continue to, uh, to gain, uh, steam. I mean, even, even with the first one that was, uh, completely, you know, reviled when it first came out, like, it's just funny how time affects things. And, um, if you're, if you're stay around and in this case, like if you're on streaming a lot, it, it helps movies like this. Like the first one, last time I checked was on like eight different streamers. <laughs> and I was like, what? There's like stone cold classics that no one can watch, but Skylines is available, <laughs> like Pluto, Tubi, Hulu, and what have you. So um, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's kind of an interesting process to see, uh, you know, how time sort of, the same with AVPR. I mean, you, you're, the time seems to, to, to heal wounds on these things uh, and people like it the farther they get away from it because they either grew up with it or, um, you know, they're not hyped for it. They're just kind of seeing it for what it is after the fact. Yeah. Actually, movies change as they grow. And that happens with every single kind of movie. I mean, a movie that was hated one minute um, for some reason, I'm only thinking Citizen Kane, which is kind of the worst example but it's um they kind of grow as it's not the first time i've been compared to orson welles <laughs> actually it is <laughs> well yeah i was thinking i've got to think of another movie than the citizen Kane. but um yeah movies grow and i like champagne as much as orson welles i think that's what we would have <laughs> but do you like cigars as much as orson <laughs> no but you know uh I, if someone lights it for me I, i'll finish it yeah <laughs> um I actually yes, have a so, question yeah. about um, this. I, I don't know how much you you know about this, but I'm, I'm, I'm asking. So uh, I I got my I did my master's. I just finished that, um, and one of the courses I took, which it's something I've always sort of known about, but um, that course is very enlightening. It was called uh, Transnationalism uh, in Cinema, and it was essentially about we took uh, two cities, so we took Denmark and then we took Hong Kong, and we can and we talked about their respective cinemas and how they're different from not just each other, but Western cinema overall. Um, and one of the things I had when I moved out here to the Netherlands was, you know, first things you start doing is, oh, I want to watch, for example, uh, Predator. And I quickly realized it's on Netflix, but not on Dutch Netflix. It's on Netflix in the States. Yeah. So you just mentioned that Skylines, um, and I, I, I wager all of the films to some extent, um, they're on varying uh, streaming services. Do you know what that is, what that process is like in terms of the rights of the films, who owns them, or the in the process that gets them to be on, say, one service or uh, on one service or another, depending on what country? Is that no? That, I I, know that's very too... very vaguely. Um, you know, like I know that Beyond Skyline had a very very healthy deal with Netflix through vertical was our distributor. And I think it was a seven year deal starting in 2018. And so I, I do attribute that to, and I, I'm pretty sure it was worldwide, but I don't know. Um, Cause it was after a window we had, you know, we had, uh, we were, we did the day and date like 10 theaters in the U S 
and then um, VOD for um, a month. And then the DVDs and Blu-rays came out in, I think, January uh, or February. And then it was on Netflix in uh, April or May. Mm. And that, so that was great. I mean, that, I think that really helped. And, and honestly, the, the DVD and Blu-rays that we, we sold in Walmart are what um, helped get Skylines made because uh, there was another one of those things where they did this cover that's just like, it looks like a naked render of the tanker and I hated it. And I was like, I got these great stars. Why can't you put them on the cover of it? Like the other people in different territories have it. And they're like, we tested it like trust us and it just like people just like a fucking alien in front of a burning city i guess so it, it just it sold out at walmart and so that was that was kind of our 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 real like saving grace um that that we did so well on uh, on our physical media for beyond skyline and then um and then the, so the deal for skylines was slightly different it was like i think it was a few years and it's it's alternating on when it so it, it left earlier this year and now it's back in the US and I'll see different things when it premieres in different territories. Uh, it'll suddenly pop up and I'll get like my Google alert will be like, oh, it's it's doing well in Portugal. And you're like, oh, OK. <laughs> uh, but I'm not involved in uh, in any of that sort of like I, I kind of hear it from the producers when we're putting the movie together. But then. Even then, like after the movies are made, they'll get sold to different rights holders and different like people that um, kind of continue that in, in ancillary. I didn't say that right. Business uh, of of kind of making movie making money off of movies catalogs and stuff like that. Um, I know because Skyline, you know, was part of Relativity, and then Relativity you know, had all these uh, debt and they got like broken up and sold into different places. So when we were trying to make beyond skyline, like that was a bit of a mess to figure out who even like owned the rights and stuff like that. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a whole sort of um, other, other part that I I'm not fully aware of, but it is interesting. And it, and it is kind of like it, it movies are on streaming and they'll get picked up on the other streamers because people are watching them. It's just like the same yeah. thing when, when you see movies that are on like, TNT and stuff. It's like it's because those movies pull ratings. So yeah. the ones that um, that get picked up on all these things, it means that uh, they're doing something right. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that I I'm fascinated with because um, like for another instance, we have Disney Plus out here. We don't have Hulu, um, but they have all the Predator films except for the first one, which makes no sense why you have every other predator film but not the first one and like you said for instance uh over the discord that they didn't have destroy our monsters on max out there um yeah out no here. They, they 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 didn't they, it, they, uh, if i because this is that app just watch so i always use that mm -hmm. to figure out yeah. what Same. where it's streaming and it was destroy our monsters streaming on like six different apps and none of them were available for indonesia so I was yeah like, okay. So rights issues are, for me, somewhat of a fascination because it's, especially once you leave the Western, once you leave the States, like the States are its own thing. And then you go to say Europe and that's still a Western society to a very large extent and rights issues there, then they get really sporadic. And then once you leave the Western hemisphere, you go to Jakarta. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, um, there's like hot, there's like catch play and uh, there's just different yeah. streaming stuff that I have to learn out here. But, 
you probably you're like a smart guy with this stuff. You know how to do a VPN. People keep saying, well, you just got to use a VPN. I don't know what the fuck that means. So I I'm, don't know how to use a VPN. I use my I use Plex and I, I go I go from there. Cause uh, <laughs> yeah, because like you can't even use um, Vimeo out here. So, you know, when I'm casting, people will send me vimeos of actors for their show reels and stuff and i'm like uh that doesn't work so that's yeah, a pain no yeah because yeah, everyone in australia has a vpn because yeah just as you were saying there's just different places where you can watch things and not watch things and sometimes we'll get something sometimes we won't i think we just got um availability for sick the john hyams slasher um which i've suddenly just rented because i'm like oh i finally get to watch this um oh, yeah, so it's just that kind of thing where you just like, and every time you travel and you turn on Netflix, you're like, oh, wow, they have this. Cool. Um, oh, well, so well speaking yeah. of Kaiju, we get that Monarch show and I'm paying fucking Apple TV money and they, they told me I need to sign up for it again because I, I don't have access to it here. Oh, that no. was last night. I was like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I can yeah. I can throw it on. It's on Plex. My dad threw up the first two episodes. So if you your Plex <laughs> is magical, I, I watch it on is... my TV. You know, I, oh, I, I know. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, but thank. But you. yeah, mm. no, no, of course. Yeah. At, uh, at some point, I'm gonna try to see if I can figure out. Maybe I can make a channel where I just have stuff playing all the time. So if you just want to watch something, you just hop in. But oh, uh, that might be like a bot or something. Um, but yeah. Uh, Rights issues are fascinating. Uh, fascinating in a good, in a in a in a both a good way and a bad way. Because um, one of the things I always do, um, especially with older films like pre nineties, is I go to YouTube first. If it's because there's a very decent possibility it is free up on YouTube, um, and someone just upload the whole thing, you can just watch it. Uh, there's Which, I've subscribed the way, to a couple. Motherfuckers would were doing that to Beyond Skyline, like right when it came on oh, DVD. Yeah. And I remember I, I used to care a lot about this stuff and I'd be like reporting and it would show up <laughs> on Facebook. I don't I just gave up. But um but they they also got better about policing it, I think. Yeah. I think the older stuff is like pre especially from like the sixties and uh downwards. Right. They, like I watched Bloodsport 2 on YouTube um yeah. when we had Daniel Bernhardt come on the show. And mm -hmm. I was like, this is exactly, it, it looked, it was like a rip of a VHS. It was perfect. Yep. It was exactly how yeah. I wanted to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I always go to YouTube for stuff. Uh, I have, I'm subscribed to a couple channels uh, where they have, I think it's not Criterion. It's, um, it's something like that, but like they have a bunch of black and white films, noir, horror, drama, mystery, like all of that. Uh, and just stuff just never even heard of before. Um and probably can't even find on physical media or let alone uh, streaming services. So it's a, it's a massive, interesting black hole. And uh, like I said, especially with uh, recent stuff like uh, Beyond Skyline, I think it'll be curious to see 20 years from now what the rights issues look like for that. Yeah, if, no, if you're, you're going right. to find it on and, YouTube or and, something. I mean, I, I'm like, uh, there is, I have such a, I'll be so sad when it's off Netflix. Like I will be, it, it's, it's definitely, I think kept it alive. So, you know, but what can you do? I hopefully hope that hopefully it gets picked up by someone else and, and it, it keeps circling around, but um, it definitely, I mean, when I tell people, um, They'll be like, oh, I've got a deal from this person and that person. And I'm always like, uh, take the Netflix deal. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's just so many more people. And, uh, and, and uh, it, it really does give life to, uh, to, to your older projects. Mm -hmm.
Yeah, it does. It's amazing what you see in the top 10 of Netflix. You're like, wait, oh, wait, that's top 10 again? Huh? cool. So it's just when people find certain things, it's, yeah. It's just, it's just so many, so much more people. Yeah. 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 They keep messing with these prices and it won't be so many more people. You know, I, I kind of like, I mean, not to get too into the industry, but I kind of like, there's a part of me doesn't mind the way where it seems like Netflix is really pulled ahead in that like it's kind of going back to the way it was i guess like in the mid 2010s that like yeah like maybe it should just be sort of like you if you're a studio movie you do your your theatrical you do your vod run uh you do your physical and then you put you you get that extra ancillary on netflix and it's just like part of the the, the release waterfall and then we don't have to have all these other kind of lower tier streaming services so i kind of like don't mind you know obviously you don't want a monopoly but i don't mind it kind of going to lesser streaming services because i i'm an idiot and i will sign up for them and then never watch them so i like fucking apple which i never watch and i'm paying for and i can't even watch in indonesia so it's like i i don't mind it going towards like you know back to the way that it was a little bit than than having you know just too many and and them wasting too much money uh, on trying to to prop them up with these lost leader shows and stuff like that like just just kind of like go back to the business of making movies that people want to see and, <laughs> and make money off of them instead of this whole like propping up a a streaming uh, subscription based you know network thing no, it would be good to go back because I just get annoyed when they release Glass Onion for like a week and then I'm like, but you could have released it for longer and made more money. It, I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I mean, that, that's like almost a different annoyance, but because yeah. like, that's just like I, I wish. But look, like, you know, that Ryan Johnson is the one who made that decision. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know he, he had other bidders. He said, I'm going to take the massive amount of money and yes. have a Netflix movie. But it's like, you know, I, I do wish that they would just ease up and say, yes, we're going to do theatrical releases and we're going to make money off of them as well. It, but less than like Netflix's own modus, op modus operandi, it's just like the other studios just being like enough with, uh, you know, Peacock and Paramount Plus. Like, even though I like both of those streamers, like just sell your movies to, to these different ones and and make money for do what sony did sony yeah, is the yeah, only like one so sony's didn't. the one that i i think mm. they it was a smart way of doing business and they obviously didn't waste billions of dollars on something they'll, they'll be like oh well you know peacock is actually doing well but it's still uh a running at a billion dollar loss and you're like well I guess it was like, 45 million a quarter yeah mm. it's like what Spain. yeah yeah um yeah i guess i'll um wrap this up but this has been an absolute blast i don't want to keep anyone's time um but this has been absolutely amazing it's such an amazing insight because my one of my favorite things about listening to um action for everyone with you mike and vice is when you go into like the pre-sales and how this actually world actually works it's not like you go to a studio and then what well, i assume but you've got these all these other things so um i absolutely love it and to get those more little insights has been absolutely wonderful thank you so much for coming on Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, it, it uh, the, the the indie world is just a completely different thing. Like I, I had to do a dog and pony show with an investor 
like at the at the Awise team place and we're all posing for photos and then it's like hey they're in you know like that that <laughs> yeah. we're, we're, we're like selling fucking you know phone books and shit you know what i mean like it's a different world <laughs> knocking on doors are you interested in yeah. Sky- in skyline alien kaiju movies yeah. <laughs> can i interest you <laughs> Which should be because it'd be great. Well, not just to do those movies, but to do other things. So I'm kind of really happy that you are able to try something else with Eco. And um, it sounds like it's starting to come together. Yeah. It might actually be a great brand of sleeveless shirts. Are you interested in my new Skyline movie? (laughs) (laughs) Just start flexing. (laughs) Yeah. Who who would have thought that that I'd still be saying that so many years later, but, um, but yeah, the, the answer seems still seems to be yes. So uh, I'll wear that shirt. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we go, Liam, please tell people where they can find your good work. Uh, so which Skylines and uh, Beyond Skyline are both on Netflix at the moment. So yes. And mm-hmm. uh, if not, um, I'd always recommend uh, buying or renting them from Apple because I think it's the best presentation. Um, but uh, yeah. And then uh, I'm at... Uh, on the A-Free Discord that uh, Max uh, built with his bare hands and uh, uh, Liam Odin on Twitter and Instagram. Yes, and also listen to A24 if you're not listening to it already, but you probably are, because that is an amazing, amazing- Did you just um, call it A24? A24. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I had a wine today. Oh my God. Oh, A24 make... for everyone. A24 yeah, that'll, for that'll everyone. That'll make Mike so happy. Uh... <laughs> well, him throwing out a fifth, his 15th screen of the week when he listens to that. I mean, technically, yeah. A24 did say they want to get into action movies. So, I mean, we're, that's right. You, you that's just go right. to A4E. A, yeah, A4E I tried, I tried to do A4E and then go to A24. Uh, I am so yeah. sorry, Mike. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no action for everyone, which I am in recording in five hours. I think it'll be <laughs> later tonight with uh, uh, Larnell Stovall part two coming. Oh up. wow! Oh nice. nice. Yeah. Well, tell everyone I say hello over there. Um, oh. And yep. And Max, where can people find your good work? I'm I'm on Twitter uh, for as long as it lasts. Feels like it's lasting every day. What they just paused <laughs> ads on the website in Europe. So yeah, I I made the A4E Discord just to because I was afraid not everyone could make it the Blue Sky or whichever Twitter clone supposed to be there, and that was just to get as many people as over there as I could. But you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on uh, the A4E Discord, shit posting, bonking the horny people. <laughs> but it, it's um, it's really replaced uh, a lot of Twitter for me, and uh, and so yeah, I I, I do want to thank you in person. For that because i remember yeah. when you were pitching to me i was like i don't know what the hell this is <laughs> you know i i it, it didn't make sense but um i really because there's so much of the stuff on twitter so many things i post it's all within context of a for e and stuff and it's just for the people that like you know are, are friends and then you have other people come in and, and be like think you're an asshole and you're like ah you don't even know who i am <laughs> so I, I really like the discord i prefer it uh at this point yeah yeah, I, I, I'm glad I made it. Uh, I know it's cumbersome for a lot of people, but I, like we said in the rules, it's essentially engage with what you want to when you can, and if not, you know, there's there's always something going on. Um, but I, again, I know it's uh it's daunting to use, especially when there's all these other social media platforms. But yeah, you can find me on Twitter, A for E. I have others, but like I, uh, I'm mostly on those two. Uh, yeah, so. No, that is good. And it is a very happy place. I have to say, 
the A for E, let's get the anagram friggin' right. Um, it seems like a very just like everyone just kind of shooting the shit kind of place, which is a lovely little environment. So yeah, well done. Thank you. Yeah. Um and yeah, you can find as the usual shock and on all the pods. You can rate review on Apple. Um, you can find me either at Reading Geek or Shock and One on multiple ones. Um, that's where you can generally find me. Uh, Twitter, I think I am on, yeah, I'm on Discord, um, Letterboxd, all those kind of ones. So, yeah, this has been an absolute blast. I, so much fun. Thank you so much for coming on, both of you. Um, this is amazing. And, yeah, we will be back with another double feature. All right, thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye.